0: What happens when your worst fear becomes your reality? Hi, I'm Brent Cassidy. Welcome to the Nightmare Success In and Out podcast, where we explore how to overcome your fears and nightmares to set yourself free. We're going to be exploring this topic with guys I was in Leavenworth with and others who served at other prisons. We're going to be talking about life before prison, life in prison, and life out of prison. These stories can be inspiring, sometimes sad. There's some humor But hopefully you can come away with a nugget of something that will help you knock down some of the prisons you've built up in your own mind. Folks, today I've got a really interesting guest because we connected, uh, I think it was Saturday of this week. I was at home going through my phone and I'm looking at the uh, post-dispatch. Up pops in the corner of my phone this article that reads hundred year rental ban for felon causes St. Louis social justice advocate to speak up. That caught my attention. That caught my attention because that's near and dear to my heart. Cause we always talk about, you know, what are the three things that guys want and need when they get out of prison, they need a job. It's hard because you got to check the box. You you need a place to live hard because you got to check the box and talk about it. And you need to get some credit somehow so you can buy stuff, a car or someplace to get around. Brandon Reed, welcome.
1: Thank you. I Glad really here.
0: Thank you for having me. Really appreciate you coming by because we've got a lot of stuff that we need to discuss. Because I think a lot of people don't know, or they've not heard a lot of different things that happen. And I think the thing that's the most interesting part of this is how ironic it is that you work at a place—it's mm-hmm. a criminal justice ministry. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that you guys do is you help people get a place to live, and you have buildings that you've actually purchased that they live in, like a hundred units or so. Yep. And you're going to a place. I'm just I, you can speak to all this, but you you've decided you're going to go to, to um, get closer to the university, mm-hmm. and uh, and have a dog. That's all I want. Just, just a trying dog. to get just, just a, a, dog. Dog. a dog. And. What happens?
1: Well, I get told that I'm in, uh, ineligible for housing there because I have a conviction. Um, and they told me basically that um, if I've had a conviction within the past 100 years, I was completely ineligible for housing.
0: And then make you maybe like 118 to come back At and minimum, say I'm ready. I mean, I'm,
1: I hope I live that long. Yeah. But I don't think it's going to happen. But.
0: And everything was pretty good up until that point, right?
1: Yeah, everything was good. Everything, I mean, the initial conversation was great. I was dressed nice. Everything was going good. Um, you know, and I self-disclose, you know, as I I believe it's important to, you know, just be honest with people. And um, they told me that it's not even worth blind. You're not going to get in.
0: I want to just share for everybody what the name of the place is. Just yeah, just Hampton Gardens. Yeah, Hampton right Gardens. Hampton, and Hampton and Gardens. Okay. just just Don't make sure there. Just make sure everybody knows who that is. So, um, it had to feel kind of strange though, didn't it? For, for the fact that you've, you know, you're more or less 10 years removed from this. Um, you got off probation and parole in uh, December 14, 2014. Yeah. So you're going on in your life. You're, you're making a way for yourself. You, you, you do a lot of community work. You're uh, board president of pride, St. Louis. You, That's correct. you are doing stuff that makes good things happen. You're making a difference. And then you go to a place and they're like, no, that's an absolute ban. We don't care what kind of person you are. You're an ex-felon. Correct. Yeah. So, Brandon, take me back a little bit because we were just talking about, I'm fascinated with your story because you just told me that you actually were born and were in Italy
1: I was born in uh, Wichita Falls, Texas on Shepherd Air Force Base. And then I moved to Italy when I was uh, two years old. Two years old. So I grew up believing I was Italian. Of course. Italian. Went to Italian schools and then came back to the United States when, I want to say 10 or yeah. 11. Um, but I was—I know I was in third grade. Yeah. Yeah. So.
0: I'm curious, like, uh, what was your life in Italy like? Um At that age, I mean,
1: I mean, uh, normal. Um, there was some family abuse kind of stuff that happened. Um, my mom, initially my brother's dad, um, who I believe was my dad um, for a long time. Uh, that, that whole part of my life was great until my mom, my mom divorced him. She actually found, uh, she married a guy that we met on the flight back. That's um, nice. Convenient. LA convenient for her, right? Um, and I love my mother to death. So if she hears this, I love you, Mom. <laughs> um, I've already called her five times today. Um, so um, yeah, so we ended up moving in with this guy who's a doctor. Um, I have very vague memories of just kind of what would happen, but I lived we lived a life of privilege. He had a lot of money, you know, yeah. he had a farm and his you know, his parents were really rich and um, but there was some domestic violence I clearly remember and I want to say that we like kind of left in the middle of the night but I think that's just my brain but I know it was very sudden that we came over here um and we I haven't been back since so yeah
0: so when you moved back to the United States was I'm always curious like kids that move around like that especially from country to country Mm -hmm. Was it strange for you to assimilate back into being uh, a kid from Italy?
1: I don't really. I, I remember that they had me in special classes because I, really, I spoke Italian. And yeah. I had a really heavy accent at the time. And which you have zero accent. No accent, which it, it's still it, me, my, me or my brother. Um, so it kind of baffles me why that is. Um, I guess I just happen. I'm not a linguist, so they can probably explain I, I,
0: I had an accent because I lived in southwest Missouri, and I moved up to St. Louis when I was 14, and I didn't realize I had an accent. And yeah. everybody asked me where I was from. And i like, Are you from Texas? Or anyway, I think St. Louis beat it yeah. out on me. So, I... and probably
1: for me too. Um, <laughs> no, you know, my I know one thing that my mom did, and she, I've spoken to her about this, is she stopped speaking to me in Italian. She kind of forced English on me and she really wanted us to assimilate kind of into it. And I, and overall, I, I had a great group of friends um, yeah. for a long time. And, you know, um, things went bad when my grandparents both died. That's because that's who we lived. That's can. So, kind of the turning point. So that there. was
0: a turning point for you yeah, in your life. Yeah. So you you lived with them. They were kind of like your uh, go-to. Oh, well, my
1: grandma was. She's still. All that. She's the best woman that's ever walked the earth. Yeah. So, yeah. So she died in 2000. Yeah. So it's been okay. 22 years
0: now. Yeah. So they died. Your world kind of turned dark.
1: Yeah, I would say that. Um, my gr- so my grandma died in 2000, and my so then with that the money from her life insurance, my mom bought a house in Brentwood, Missouri. Um, okay. So I initially was in University mm-hmm. City, which is a predominantly urban yeah. um, kind of community, mm-hmm. um, or at least school district, and then we went to Brentwood, which is complete opposite um, mm-hmm. of that. Um, so we bought a house, and then my grandfather um he actually moved in with us he was getting ready to die so i had to watch kind of that process unfold um and you know my mom obviously was single parent two kids working two jobs um it it was really rough on her you know and so she you know so and you know she let us kind of kind of do whatever we wanted you know to prepare pretty much i mean Mm -hmm. you know and no i don't blame her for any of that you know but i mean it it allowed me to kind of explore um Situations I probably shouldn't have explored at that time. You know? So the
0: people, the people you were running with, were they? Was it easy for you to fall into that just because that's that was your friend group? Uh,
1: kind of. So it, I was actually I always hung out with the minority group. So when I was in Houston University City, I, hung, I primarily hung out with the white kids because I'm half black half white, right? So and so I, I've never really felt like part of either group. So yeah. I've always kind of hung out with the minority groups. So when I was at U.C. City, I hung out with mostly the white kids, and then when I went to Bruntwood, I hung out with mostly the black kids um and so that was kind of it and um at 17 my junior year and I was basically flunking out of high school at that point um I um I decided I, I decided to drop out I actually remember exactly what I was doing we were reading Macbeth and the teacher was I, I just couldn't comprehend it um it's, well I don't think anybody really can comprehend that book <laughs> to begin with honestly but um I decided I'm gonna drop out and I literally walked to the principal's office. I called my mom. Said, "Hey, I want to drop out." You know, and I think at that point she was under so much stress and just financials, all this kind of stuff. She's like, "All right, that's fine." She literally came up to school, find the paperwork, and um, so she
0: had a lot of thing. things going on in her life oh, at the yeah. time. So it was oh, like yeah. this was just not something yeah. that she was gonna tackle.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I think she was in survival mode. Yeah, you know, and yeah. I think and and she was in survival mode at the time and trying to take care of two kids. You know, two teenagers at the time. Yeah. You know, I was. 17 my brother's 14 you know so she was just you know she had she was working two jobs I mean baking we were on food stamps I mean it was it was rough it was rough
0: so what do you do at 17 when you drop out of high school from Brentwood
1: um find people that also dropped out and yeah. um, I, I started smoking weed I yeah. mean that was the very first kind of thing I did um you know I would yeah, I start smoking weed. Um, and I can text. Actually, the very first time I smoked weed, I freaked out. Um, and but you know my addictive brain. Um, I did it again the next day. Right. Um, so, um, that very quickly within I'd say a month or two. Um, I was starting to do harder and harder drugs. Within a year, I had already done meth and cocaine, and then a year later, I was shooting heroin. Yeah, I mean it was it was it was just very, one thing, very quick one demise. step after another. Very very quick demise. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So how did the, when, when you ran into your trouble Mm -hmm. from, from the law side, was, Mm -hmm. was it like a, you got pulled over or is that what happened?
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. So I was my very first felony. I was at three o'clock in the morning. Um, I had a whole, I didn't have a whole bunch of drugs on me, but I basically had a tin can with some muscle relaxers and one Ativan and then some weed, some really bad weed actually. Um, I remember very clearly about that. And um, we were driving on Winghaven in O'Fallon, um, going to pick up another friend of ours. And the girl who I was with was um, high on meth, and she'd been up for a while. She was speeding, you know. She was a white, blonde-haired girl. She had no cares in the world, you know. And I remember, I remember telling her slow, you know, slow, slow down, mm-hmm. slow down. And then I, I saw a car come in, and I saw a cop, and I was like, "We're done." Yeah, he flipped around, around, and I was the last person he pulled out and searched, and they. I was the one with everything on me, and so I had one Ativan, um, which is a benzodiazepine, and they took me in. Not at the time, you know, I really didn't even comprehend. Well, I was what wondering th-
0: what was going through your mind at that time. Because really understand- how, how old would you have been? Seventeen. I, was, I seven? was eighteen. I okay. was eighteen.
1: Um, I didn't even really un- comprehend what a felony, what what I was just what had just occurred. Yeah. Um, and so I remember actually feeling kind of like. I'm kind of cool now. Like I'm, I have street cred, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like the police station, I called my mom, you know, they put me in an investigation room and I said, I want to speak with my lawyer. Cause obviously that's what you see on TV. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I did all that. Um, and then about a year later, you know, they obviously uh, put me on a pending application of warrant. And then about a year later they filed, um, you know, I had to contact the lawyer. They'd sent me, you know, he said, you should probably go to treatment first and do all that. And I did all that and went through that,
0: got them put on probation. Um, how long did they put you on probation? They gave me a five-year SIS. Okay, um, and, and that was that you couldn't do anything wrong, pretty and, much. And had if a few did, that, yeah. yeah, okay, yeah,
1: all the traditional probation right. officer stuff. Um, kept using, um, progressively got worse. Um, they tried to put me on house arrest, um, which, what I was telling you earlier, um, and start it started off as a ninety-day, turned into a year, um, and even then, I, you know, at, at that time, it was ran through a phone line, um, so I had even learned how to game the system. You know, you yeah. just pull it, pull the. Pull the cord out and you know, the command center calls, you say the electricity went out, you know? Like right. they can't prove it. So I did that many times. Um so I was still in fact I think I did more drugs on house arrest than I did not on Being house out. Arrest, you know, yeah. honestly. Um and then um at that point Did
0: was, you feel like that you were when when you got when you were in that world at that time, did you feel like you were an addict or did you just feel like you oh, were yeah. you did? I knew I was an addict the first time. I mean
1: the first time I smoked weed. Yeah. I mean, there was no doubt in my mind. I was, uh, I had no doubts. I mean, I've always
0: known. Um, I just think it's interesting because some people, you know, they, they go through college and they try all the drugs <laughs> and they just don't they just go on their way in their life. And that's, there's other people that do it one time yeah. and they are totally yeah. into the world.
1: That my brother is like that. So he did all the same job. I actually brought him to his first rave when he was 14 years old. I'm sorry, brother. Um, <laughs> he, survived. Yeah, he survived. He survived. You know, tripping acid and doing all that, like three hours away from home. I, Still, oh, I'm immense for that. Um, but yeah, no, I knew right away. I mean, I, I I'm addicted to everything. Um, yeah. it's and it's very evident. Just in you know, if, if I like a song, I listen to it and repeat. Mm-hmm. If I like a person, I become very obsessive. Mm-hmm. Probably,
0: I, are you good at your job? Uh,
1: yeah, I w- I would hope so. Yeah, you get if my obsessed boss here it. it <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean. I'm, I do good. Um, yeah, no, I just have a very addictive personality. I do, you know, I also do CrossFit. It's very, very addictive, mm-hmm. you know, because it's just, it's, it's all th- those type of things. So I have an addictive personality. just that baseline. Um, so I knew the first or second time I did, I was like, yeah, I like this, and this is going to be a problem. At 18 years old, I had that just cognitive awareness of that. So, yeah.
0: So you get out of the the house arrest and you get kind of untangled from that first deal?
1: Um, No, not really. Um, So after the house arrest, um, I think, so what happened was I – Cut my bracelet off, and I got, and they caught me, obviously, and I went to jail. Gutsy. Uh, Well, I I was doing heroin, so I was like, (laughs) "It
0: takes away the inhibitions." I I was like, "Whatever."
1: I mean, I'm, I know it's coming eventually. I had
0: an ankle bracelet on, and I had the first one they gave me. Because when they put me home confinement after I got yeah. out of the the Dismas house, I was mm. petrified. That's that this, a whole another
1: story to Dismas. House.
0: Oh, the Dismas house is and, and they they didn't get uh, their contracts, so they're shut I, down. I know, so that's it's a, it's, a, it's a nightmare, and that place yeah. is a nightmare. But they gave me a defective um, ankle bracelet, and I was worried anyway about that thing staying charged. And they were yeah. huge. I mean, they were they weren't yeah. the nice kind. And so finally, you know, they kept they they would tell me that if you didn't have a charge that they'd send you back to the Dismas house, yeah. which was like a nightmare. So I finally went into my case manager. I said, I don't think this thing works. It only holds like a forty minute charge. It's supposed to charge all day. So of course she doesn't believe me. So I go and talk to this so finally mm-hmm. they cut the thing off and it is a defective uh, wow. ankle bracelet. But it's so in. hard to get anybody to believe you and <laughs> yeah, no, you're yeah. an ex-felon going to the yeah. Dismas house saying my ankle bracelet doesn't that's why i would look like i was no I, no it really doesn't work the, good for you it was yeah. it was a good hours uh, hours of talking yeah. about why my i
1: i know some of this we talked some people with dismiss, yeah that's a whole other topic.
0: horrible horrible world
1: yeah no yeah no i cut mine off my, that was yeah. that was coming off and then i got caught a week like literally a week later um, and, um, from there they let me out and they were going to put me on house arrest again. But in between that time period, um, I caught another felony. Um, cause at that point I was doing, I'd switch from heroin to meth, which was kind of my, my pattern. I would get on heroin and then I'd, you know, get dope sick. So I would switch to meth, you know, to come off that habit. And then, but meth, you know, I always, well, said, I do um,
0: think it's interesting though, Brandon, because when you get in that world, yeah. I was reading an article yesterday that somebody sent me uh, this guy was—he uh, was number four in the world, three behind Tiger Woods, and he got addicted to meth. And they put him in, he puts him in prison, and he escapes from prison because he's so addicted that he's got to go out and find. What and prison it, was he in? And he—he he was. Um, I need to I think to- he was. He started in Hawaii and ended up in Arizona, but it, it's like an, a fascinating story. But uh, that just shows you how strong the addiction is. He didn't. He thought he could escape from prison mm-hmm. because the addiction was so in him.
1: Yeah. So I always tell people a heroin almost killed me. Meth made me lose my mind. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, yeah. Meth is, is, is a hell of a drug. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. So um, basically I, I got, I was on meth at the time. I was going all these club appearing. I was clubbing I was, you know, I really thought I was like a club kid at mm-hmm. the time and I was walking down probably hanging
0: chest. with all the cool people.
1: Um well I thought I was the cool people. Um so I don't know if they necessarily thought that, but whatever. Um yeah, no, I was literally at my friend's house and um who's now actually passed away from overnomidos, um, ironically, and um she I left there, and she clearly i had been up probably for a week or something, mm-hmm. like close to a week or something like that. And, and that'll make like, you crazy all in itself. Oh, I was hallucinating seeing yeah. all kinds of stuff. So I was walking down Manchester, and she called the police, basically to do a health and well check on me. And, you know, I remember police officer saying, if you, know, if you don't have a needle in here, I'll throw whatever we find away. Well, I had, like, a whole bag. Um, so that was it. Um, from there, um, I uh, went to county and... <laughs> Even that story is funny, actually, because I met a girl who was going to jail and she knew she was coming to jail. So she had a whole bunch of pills and, you know, stashed away, mm-hmm. quote unquote. Um, and she gave those to me because, you know, because we befriended each other. And I remember them. I was in San Louis County at the bottom, you know, in, in the intake. And I remember passing out and falling asleep and the, all these white shirts came around. They're like, what did you take? What did you take? They like shipped me off. they were like, tried to make me pee in the cup. And I'm like, y'all, I just took this. It's not going to show up like what are y'all trying to find? You know, so they took me to SLU and it was this whole big thing. And anyway, so then I ended up in St. Charles County cause that's where I, my original case was. And mm-hmm. then from there, that's when they sentenced me to 120 days in treatment, um, which did not turn out well either. That so, didn't work either. No, they don't, they don't take prisons like too much when you like try to run a store, um, mm-hmm. you know, and also being a gay man in there, you know, do you, you, you're, they have eyes on you, you, you know, you're kind of a target, um, for the staff. Um, and so, yeah, they put me in the hole for about two months and then they sent me to Bon and then they sent me to Boonville, which that was a whole.
0: Well, tell me about the hole because I, I, <sighs> I, that's how long were you in the hole?
1: Uh, I'd say about two months. That's a long time. I went on an investigation. Yeah. So the first one was at Farmington. Um, that's where I did my treatment and it was non air conditioning. It was in the middle of summer. Mm-hmm. Um, um, that's where the. I had.
0: I know about non air conditioning in the summer because yeah. Leavenworth didn't have air yeah. conditioning. So that was, That's not a good way to fun. go. It's, no. Not, no. Fun. it's no. not
1: fun. It's not fun. My cellie at the time, um, you know, I wonder, I wonder what he's doing nowadays. But, you know, that was the first time where I experienced stuff in the hole that probably nobody should have to experience with, you know. And, you know, I then they put me, they sent me back to diagnostic center to be reclassified and spent about a month in a one man cell with those two of us. Um, and there, wow. and then they finally sent me to Boonville, which at the time was called the Thunderdome. Um, uh-huh. cause I was, I've heard the, of that. So the young guys went, um, so you can imagine as a 115 pound, 24 year old gay man. I was absolutely terrified when I showed up. It's open Bay. Um, that's no cells, you know? And so when I got there.
0: When you say open bay, because I know what you're talking yeah, about, but it, it's a dormitory basically dormitory with, yeah. with all bunk beds, all and bunk beds lockers, yep. and chairs. Yep. Yeah, completely
1: open, showers wide open, yeah. all that kind of yeah. stuff. So, you know, and yeah, that was an experience. My first two days there, someone took all my stuff, and um, that's I, not good. I, well, I, I, I made a decision to myself that I wasn't, that's not how this experience was going to go. So I basically went to the middle of our bay, basically, mm-hmm. and I just basically called it out and basically said, you know, Whoever took my stuff if me man enough to say, "Come, you know, tell me who it is so that we can deal with it. And I went out to the yard and came back and all my stuff was there.
0: Wow. Um, Love so, that.
1: Yeah. So that was my first experience. And you know
0: what I think that, that's interesting about that though, Brandon is there's two ways to go. When you go to prison, mm-hmm. you, you have, you can't be disrespected. Yeah. And it doesn't matter what size you are. Correct. It's a, it's a different world, very primitive. Yeah. And you got your integrity and you've, it's about respect and if you wouldn't have done that
1: oh it would have been over
0: you you would have had a hard hard world gays are gays
1: are and it's a hierarchy in prison right and we're right above like rapists and sex and child molesters you know and i know that you know and i knew that going into it um and so i was like look if if we're going to do this we're going to do this you know and i stood up for myself and you know subsequently you know i found a guy in there that kind of more or less protecting me, but yeah. not, a not people. When I say that people have this envision, it's like he was protecting me. Like it was an, it was actually a genuine relationship with this individual. Yeah. Um. And I, he's listening. I hope you're doing well. Um, but, um, but that
0: happens in prison too. I mean, people yeah. speak for you. Yeah. 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 And
1: I, he spoke, I mean, he, you know, he took care of me and, you know, like, you know, pretty much just, you know, I mean, unfortunately I moved on to somebody else from him and that they started fighting, you know, but I, that was outside of my control. Yeah. Um, but, and then from there, they sent me to another treatment, which I almost failed. Um, and But I didn't, did end up getting out, so that was about a year and a half I spent that time. And then I remember my mom came and drove all the way from here to St. Joseph, Missouri, which is not close by any means. I actually brought my best friend at the time, who's the person who called the cops on me initially when I was talking about earlier. Um, and that and I, I made a commitment to myself, I'm not going to use, but that night i I did, I took, I remember I, I ate like three Xanax bars mm-hmm. and that started the whole process all over again. And so then it was just in and out, in and out for about four different times since then.
0: So. so Brandon, what, I know that you like, you know, for me, cause I didn't go through addiction, but I had like a moment where I was like, almost felt like I was struck by a bolt that I'm going to, you know, I'm going to survive this I'm going to, I'm going to act you know, in a way that I want to act and people in my family and whatever else they're going to see me walk through this. And I'm, I'm going to, even if it scares the hell out of me, I'm, I'm different. I'm, I'm surviving. it. What, cause you're, you, you've gotten out and you've done so much. What did you have a moment where you just said something's I'm, this is that, and this is going forward. I mean, how did you stop?
1: Stop going to prison?
0: No, or not stop going to prison. Just your the addiction of I'm not going back to meth. I'm not going back to cocaine. I'm not uh, going back to any of this.
1: Yeah, there was a, yeah, yeah. Um, so my last stint in prison, I was actually at the St. Louis community release center. Um, at the time it was called the honor center. that was for the state individual similar to Dismas. Yeah. Um, and I had overdosed the night before and I was in the psych ward and it's actually kind of, kind of an interesting story. They, the psych ward gave me a prescription for 90 Klonopin and like, 30 Xanax and I was all I remember is um, I was I had I had like five dollars or ten dollars on me and I hopped on the Metrolink um, to get to Walmart because they have four dollar prescriptions and I was like this is perfect like I have a full prescription on the way there I lost a prescription and so interesting and so I was like well this I I don't know what happened basically I I called my mom and I, you know, she had not heard from me probably a month or two at that point because I was just so out there. And I said, you know, hey, I need to turn myself in. Um, so she can't pick me up. Obviously, I wasn't allowed in their home because I stole everything. Um, anytime I was in there, I, I've stolen. God, I was so bad to my family. Um, but, you know, yeah. But so, they stayed with you, though. Um, at that point, mm, no. I mean, they stayed with me at a distance. Let's okay. just say that they put me in a hotel uh-huh. down the street um, yeah. and they tried uh-huh. to have this whole intervention thing. And i was just like, so we basically decided, you know, Hey, we're going to drive you up. I said, look, just drive me up to the prison in Fulton, Missouri. Um, you know, I waited till I looked online to say that I'm a fugitive. Um, and I drove up to the prison, um, had drugs on me. So sorry, DOC. Um, you know, I made sure I had something to go in there with. Um, and, I went in there and I remember walking up to the the bubble and I was like, Hey, I'm here to turn myself in. And they're like, what? And they said, they didn't believe me. So they put me in the hole for a week first. Um, I guess figure, to figure it out, figure out like it. what's yeah. going on. And so then they, you know, they pulled me out and everything was good. And then I was expecting me to do like a six month setback or something like that. Send me to treatment. That's just kind of what I was thinking they were going to do a week later. They called me down to the parole office and they're like, Hey, you're getting out next week. And I was like, well, okay. Um, okay. So I called my mom and I was like, Hey, um, they're letting me out next week and she's like, All right, so we're going to put you in a sober house. Um, this is the absolute last time. Um and she set it all up, she paid for it. Um again, my mom my mother's a saint. Um, she paid for all that, and I started going to meetings, and that's kind of what started that trajectory. Uh, I've had slip ups since. I will yeah. you know. I think it's important to state that you know, recovery you don't have to relapse, but in my story, relapse is, is, is part of my story. Um, but you know, it it is what it is. Um, but there was that pivotal moment. I remember calling my mom, being like, like Brandon, you're you're at a point, like you're kind of at a crossroads here. You can either just become Someone who just continuously comes to prison and lives the prison life, you know, and because I, I wanted face tattoos at that point, I I was actually very very entrenched. I mean, in, in, in the prison in,
0: culture, you mean? Yeah,
1: I I was very fascinated by it. Um, it was very glamorizing to me. Um, I felt like cool mm-hmm. that I was in prison. Um, for some reason, I know that sounds really sick. You're
0: getting your street cred, <laughs> kind of. Yeah. You know
1: what I mean? And like you know, and especially when I went to Moberly, Moberly had a whole lot of um gay and trans women there um so you know we had our own two little gangs and we fought each other that's where the scar came from when me fighting one of them you know um you know so i felt like like yeah i'm living you know like i have a story to tell you remember that show locked up yeah you know they on msnbc yeah. like so i felt like i felt like i was like living that world because i used to be obsessed with that show um you know but yeah no, that that was the pivotal moment calling my mom being like look you got to make a decision here like I know I'm intelligent, like, I can do stuff, like, you know, and, and I got my GED while I was in prison, and I said, let's just try this, you know, and it was, it, it, it was relatively easy, to be honest with you. Was that um, kind
0: of your strategy in prison, is to, to like, get your GED? And no, like I, didn't have, so? I didn't
1: have strategy. I was just, I had no idea what I was doing. I was just like, let me get into the sober living and just go to meetings. That's kind of how it started. Luckily yeah. for me, um, I went to Steps Alana Club, so kudos yeah. to them, but um, you may have heard of it. Um, and it was walking distance from the sober living facility. So that's what kind of started. And then I met my first sponsor who happened to be a substance abuse clinician who, um, you know, just kind of took me under his wing. I mean, he's he kind of forced me to go to school and not forced me, but it'd be like, Hey, like
0: mentored you mentored me and he's still
1: to this day um i still speak to him every day so so
0: that might be what you're saying you needed a mentor of somebody that could get down on your level and relate to what you were going through and then you also started hanging out with people that were trying to get through take a step themselves
1: absolutely yeah i mean i was at at that 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 has to make a difference oh absolutely social social connections i mean when we talk about recovery you know there's three things that need to change um people, places, and things, right? Um, those are the primary thing. And social connection is such a crucial component um, of long-term recovery that, you know, I found a group of friends that were my age that we could go out and do things, you mm-hmm. know? And that was, without that, I would have never had, you know, sobriety.
0: But, so you so you kind of start stepping into the, the world that you want to step into. Very little.
1: Um, yeah, very slowly.
0: and. What were you doing job wise? How, how did you get into what you're, you're into? Yeah. So I was
1: waiting tables. Um, started waiting tables. I got a job right away. I've never had a job. No, I've never had problem problem getting a job. A job. Yeah. I've always been, you know, I, 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 you know, I, I sound like this. I sound very white. I'm half black, half white. Like no, I present myself, I, I believe very well. So I've always been hired. I've right. never really been turned down for a job. So I can't, you know, so that's luck. I'm, I'm blessed on that aspect, but I waited tables and then. I knew I wanted to become a social worker at some point, so I saw. I remember contacted the NC, the National Council on Alcohol and Drug Abuse, and to just a volunteer, um, actually volunteer at Pride Fest. Coincidentally, now I'm the president of that event. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, and then my, as I was telling you earlier, a friend of mine happened to work at this agency which I work at now, which is Criminal Justice Ministry, and he said there there was a position open and part time position, and he said I should apply. And I did. And I worked there part-time, still waited tables. Um, and then I started going to St. Louis Community College at Forest Park. Um, and that's kind of how that started.
0: Yeah, I just think it's really cool because you, the, the, the position that you got into mm-hmm. is such a crucial position, and you can relate on all levels. Correct. You know, you, you're not just relating on one level. You're relating on different levels. Yeah. So you can talk to a lot of different people yes. and – and relate to them, yeah. Which we need a lot of that, yeah. Because I think so many people are looking for, you know, when they they enter that bad prison life and they're dealing with their worst fear of becoming the reality, and then they're trying to get to that second chance. They're looking for people that can help them, and they're looking for an opportunity. And both of those things together, if they can have somebody that helps them and mentors them and can talk to them. Those are all things that are like a lifeblood source. Absolutely,
1: and I was blessed, and not everybody has this opportunity, you know? Um, And that's why I think CJM, Criminal Justice Ministries, is so important, is because that's what we try to offer, right? I I
0: want to talk to you about that. What what all happens with CJM? Like, can you walk us through how that – because I think people need to know how that – Absolutely. works
1: yeah so um it, i'll give you kind of the elevator pitch that okay. I give to people so criminal justice ministry was started in 1979 um it was affiliated with the archdiocese basically at that point the uh, father john vogler um kind of realized um that there was a lack of ministry inside there and you know one one of the capital principles of Catholicism is kind of help the poor, help the people in need, help the you know disenfranchised. Um, so they started doing inside ministry with prayer services and that type of stuff. And then eventually they turned into uh, um, under St. Vincent de Paul Society. They turned into kind of a smaller s- inner agency themselves. And then we split off in two thousand, I believe, two thousand five as our own five hundred one c three. And then um, that's when we created our first housing program, which is called Release to Rent, which is still currently active right now. Um, the, that program itself focuses primarily, um, on individuals that served a minimum of 10 years. Um, that's kind of the blanket, uh, but it's average, it's right around 20, 25 years. We kind of specialize in dealing with that as well as sexual offenders. Um, and then we have a veterans program, um, which takes individuals from incarceration and in the street. Um, then we have a female program now as well um and then now a program also it's called release to rent light which is uh, mirrors the release to rent long-term program but it's only six months long for individuals already in the community
0: who kind of just kind of need that extra little kick so how does it work brandon so say i've been in prison for 12 years um how do I find you? And then how do I get into that program?
1: So everything kind of runs through the IPOs, right? So we have cultivated, but we've called not me and myself, but our agency has cultivated relationships with all the prisons in the state of Missouri. Um, and they, what, you know, we try to contact IPOs and that kind of stuff. And basically they submit a referral. Um, I pull documents. Is
0: it solely state or is it state? We've taken
1: some, we've taken some federal guys depending on grant funding. Honestly, at the time when we had DOC funding, Missouri DOC funding, we could obviously only take that. But once now, currently we can take, pretty much anybody. Right. And we've
0: actually met with some people. Well, a lot of people don't know there's a lot more state than there are federal.
1: Right. And then, but the interesting thing with the feds is they have to go through a halfway house first. Exactly. Right? So that's kind of what right. makes it weird. And we take guys directly out of the institution. Yeah. So the thing, why, and especially when you were talking about Dismas earlier, um, why it's always been kind of hard is because we just don't know when they're going to get released. right? Um, so it's really hard for us to say like, yes, we're going to have an apartment available because, we you know we it's kind of on a first come first serve kind of. Well, basis. In,
0: for a lot of people that don't know, they're, they're, it's hard to get released from even if you have a place to go from the halfway house like Dismas because they took twenty five percent of your your gross pay, so they made money yeah. off of you having a job and you being there. So they didn't really want you to be. And then right. they changed the rule that. Uh, you could they could only take to 25 percent if you were in the dismiss house so that's when they started keeping more people oh. instead of releasing them to home confinement yeah. so it is, and our it's program a whole mess a of different. stuff
1: yeah so and our program model is completely different from that so we for the first two months they don't pre- they don't pay for anything right so they we just they, get in there they get a fully furnished apartment with every single thing you need them from bed to toothbrush to that's a incredible. TV, and then we take them food shopping get them eat, you know if they need food stamps you know, yeah. access to medical care whatever they need um starting at the the 90 days uh, or the, after two months i mean um they start paying 10 percent of the market rate of whatever their apartment costs and each month it increases by 10 and so that's fantastic throughout the duration of the program we slowly start integrating other financial responsibilities maybe their cell phone or their bus pass or that type of stuff so the idea is basically we don't want to overwhelm them with financial yeah. burdens because we know that one of the highest rates of receivism reasons is finances right yeah. somehow tied into it, whether it's Whatever the case is. Well, for
0: those that don't know, the recidivism rate is incredibly high. It's two thirds in three years and three fourths in five years. And when people say that, you almost find it hard to believe, but then you start looking and, and reverse engineering that for those people who can't find a place to live. Yep. For those people who can't find a job, yeah. the easiest thing to do is fall back. I mean it's a survival mechanism. Yeah. I mean
1: that you I mean, and I always tell people, you know, hey, look like what would you do for your family? You know, what would you do for yourself? Like if and if it had to be illegal you know, that's what it has to be, but you have to survive, you yeah. know? And so with the lack of resources, you know, living in an urban community, you would think that access to resources would be relatively easy. Um, it's still very complicated, you know, and it's you have to navigate bureaucracy and all those type of stuff, you know, and a lot of people just don't get frustrated and they just yeah. kind of give up, you know, that's really the reality. Um we try to make it as easy for the. We try to reduce the barriers.
0: And the units. How many units do you guys have? And the- uh,
1: so we own. We own about. Six, my boss is going to kill me because I'm going <laughs> to say the wrong number. I think it's between six and seven buildings ourselves. and yeah. Then we outsource. Um, so a total combined would be about ninety nine to one hundred and ten.
0: Is it hard to, Brandon, get to on the outsourcing part? Is yes. it hard to get? Yeah.
1: Yes. Yeah. Um, it's cold calling yeah it's getting told no yeah um you know a lot some landlords are willing because they know it's coming from grant funding and they know they're going to get the money yeah um you know but we've dealt with landlords um that have not been great landlords at all yeah um but and that's why we started buying buildings because we wanted to kind of control that, of it we have that control way control of it yeah. um and we have it's set rent so all our rents are 450 dollars. So we don't it's a fixed if rent. people
0: want to get involved and and contribute to yeah. How do you, uh, do you do that?
1: www.cjmstlouis.org. Um, and there's a donate button or you can call us. Um, Good. Call me at eight eight one six zero two one three one four eight eight one six zero two one, 6021 314 314-881-6021, or anybody really in my agency. Yeah. You know, you can send us an email, um, go to our website, but that, that'll that give you all the information.
0: Okay, so let's go to the ironic part. Let's do it. Because you're, you live this life. This is what you do. You put mm-hmm. people in places so they can get mm-hmm. set up again. And yeah. then you're in your world, you're getting educated, you're going to one of the, the Ivy leagues of the Midwest. And do you want to get closer so you can have a dog? And can you walk us through, like, what, what did you feel like when that happened?
1: Do you want to start like kind of the whole story or just, well, I know
0: you went to you. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, so basically, yeah, when I was the other day, I was, um, Four days ago, um, I was wanting to. I was just. I just realized that um, I've been in my apartment. I've been on a month to month that I wasn't aware of because you know, I was calling them about like, hey, when is my lease? <laughs> when is my lease being Actually, renewed? Probably good. I'm on a month I, to I, a month, a month, right? Like I didn't even know that. It said, yeah, you've been on a month for yeah. a year, and I was like, oh, good, cool, like great. Now I'm not stuck in anything, so yeah. I can just start exploring. So I'm very impulsive, you know. So when I think things, I'm like, well, let me just stop by its apartment complex and kind of see. You know, I want a dog. There's a dog park. There's a huge park. I'm like yeah. I really want a dog. Like. Bad. My mom keeps telling me no, So sorry, mom, I'm getting a dog. Um, but you know, um, I went in there, um, everything was fine. I was dressed appropriately. Um, you know, I was speaking as I speak now, um, my credits, my credit score is decent. I have great rental. I've never made a miss, missed payment. Yeah. You know, my landlord loves me. Um, and everything's fine and dandy. Um, and I never gave them my name. Let me make that clear because it's pertinent to what happens later. Um, you know, I asked them basically what, you know, I I think it's important to disclose, um, my felony convictions. I am for transparency reasons. I, I, I am not ashamed of of them. And I, you know, so I just asked what their policy is on felonies, you know, just to see if I would even be eligible or if I, if if I haven't served, I haven't been off parole long enough. That's kind of what I was expecting. Maybe like to say, Hey, no, that's a 10 year or 12 year, 15 year. That's what I was expecting. This individual, this lady, um, told me, um, that, um, Oh no 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 you you're not eligible. Don't even apply. It's not, if you've had a felony within the past hundred years, um, you're not eligible. And I said, and it kind of and it it, it kind of threw me for a loop. I remember kind of standing there in the leasing years. office, and I was like, I was trying to process it like, okay, it's so hundred years, like. So I was like, okay, so I left, and I was very kind, and I was like, okay, thank you for your time, and I, and I went to Target because I was going to actually buy some jeans, actually the ones I'm wearing now, um, and and I was and I was calling my mom, and I was like, can you believe that, that they said? And I was like. It's like something, something back in my mind said, there's a memo put out by HUD and I couldn't recall it. So I started looking mm-hmm. online in the garage as in my par and I was like, and I found it and I was
0: reading through very it. Very few people would know that.
1: Yeah, very few people know. It, and I knew that because, you know, obviously I do this for a living mm-hmm. and I've seen it. Um, and so I found it and I was kind of reading over it and I said, this might apply to this situation. So... I made a Facebook post. Um, I tagged, obviously, the Hampton Gardens. Um, Hampton on Gardens. The Hampton Gardens, just so everybody's clear. Um, and, yeah, and so I got it. I mean, it was, just, uh, I don't even know how many comments I got. I, I tagged the mayor. I tagged every alderman, the mayor. Kudos to Tushara Jones. She personally messaged me um, and said, put me in contact with the right people They need to be put in contact with. Um, you know, and I just started reading into more of, like, the law of it and like what i can do who i need to talk to like where where do i stand kind of on this um and so um i decided at that point that when i was at target i was like well let me go back and just get clarification you know maybe the lady i know it's on the paper but maybe if i talk to somebody else flexibility you know like 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 whatever like i was like let me just give them a benefit of the doubt um but i decided but i'm gonna record this so um, I recorded it. Um, I went in there, showed my face, showed Hampton Gardens, um, and walked in. The lady who was, I previously, I guess she had gone home for the day. And she and, and I don't want to say anything bad about this lady because she was really, really nice to me. Okay, And I, and I don't want to say anything bad. She was just doing her job. Um, but I went into the actual leasing manager's office, um, and I asked the receptionist lady. I was like, hey, I'm just here to get clarification um, about you guys' felony ban. Is it 100 years or 10 years, you know? I wanted to make it kind of broad so that way, you know, a yes or no question, basically. Um, I didn't want to leave it open ended. So, and she said, no, it's 100 years. And I was like, and I, I was like, and are you positive about that? And she's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we're positive. Here it is. And she handed me that piece of paper. And I was like, okay, cool. And so, and I was like, well, um, I don't know if you know this, um, but I've made a Facebook post and I was very open about it. And I said, look, I've contacted the mayor, I've contacted different agencies and aldermen and all that kind of stuff. So she, at this point, the look on her face—poor um, <laughs> girl—but um, I, she was scared. I, I don't—I think she knew she probably messed up. Um, so the leasing manager comes up, and she and she's, and she was nice. I'm not going to say she wasn't, but she was like, well, you know, she's like, no, I have family members that you know that have been through this. So like, I, you know, I completely understand. Why don't you just go ahead and apply? And if you, um, if you get rejected, we'll give you your your your, your, your application feedback. And I said. No, we're way past that point at this point. Like, the, the, no, no, no. I was like, thank you for the offer, and I appreciate it. You guys are being very kind to me. And she's like, no, no, I totally understand. This is totally outdated policy. Like, the laws have changed, blah, 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 blah. And I said, okay, well, cool. I appreciate your time. Um, so um, contacted um, the person who wrote the story. I don't know if I should say his name, but I'll He wrote a you. great story.
0: Yeah. And um, I think, you know, that you and I talked about this. This is the type of thing that a lot of people aren't aware of. Correct. And so he wrote a really nice story about it and gave it prominence in the in the post. And, yeah. and it was right front and center that I think yeah. a lot of people got to read that. And they did. They
1: did. I've gotten, yeah, they did. I was shocked when I picked up the Sunday paper because I was going to look for it and I thought I'd have to like kind of scroll through, you know, many pages. It was right there on the yeah. second page and it was almost a half, half the page. Yeah. And so, so kudos to Tony Messenger um, for always sticking up for us. Um, but yeah, um, and ever since then, it's just, I've been, you know, I'm off work till next week. So I have time. You yeah. Know? Um, and
0: well, we kind of talked about that this, this whole, you know, world of the ex-felon of, mm-hmm. of that really it's, you know, like I used to be in the cemetery business and we would run across the old bans that you couldn't bury a black person in the cemetery. Well, of yeah. course those things changed, but we still have <laughs> in the United States we're, you know, 2022 20, here. And, ex-felons can be legally discriminated against. Absolutely. So, I, I, you know, I think the, you know, the voice needs to come from, and you and I were talking about this, there's, there's, you know, there's 25 million felons in the United States. And uh, at some point I think it would be if there's any way to interlink the United States into one voice so yeah. that some of these things could possibly be dealt with. And I'm not saying that, you know, I understand if somebody has killed somebody or they've raped somebody, and they're going to hurt somebody. 100%. That's a, you know, you don't want that person living in and around you. Di- but but there should be layers Correct, to sure. Correct. what they accept. And you ask those questions. You yeah. know, what what are those? But I think this, this is a, a topic that has so many layers yeah. because there's so many people that get out. And, you know, they have to deal with this. If they don't have a home to go to, you're, you're bouncing around. Absolutely. Trying to find somebody that'll give you a yeah. break.
1: I didn't, and the collateral consequences of being released and a key point to the story. I forgot to mention, um, the, the management company sent me a text about 20 minutes later after they saw my post. Um, and I, and I let you read the post, but basically insinuating that uh, they said that all actions have consequences, whether 10 years or 10 minutes. Right. Um, and that well, good luck on rehabilitating basically. And I was like, all right, so let's play hardball, you know, which is just kind of like a kicking kick a dog when it's done. That's what I quoted to Tony's in Tony's article, basically saying like, look, I, I'm well aware there's consequences. Sure, I've paid my. Let's through it? I, I I understand, but I I'm well aware of consequences. You know, and but, one of the
0: quotes that you have, and there's one decision away from yeah, everybody is yeah. everybody
1: is like you know and we've all committed felonies yeah you know we've every single person has committed a felony I can assure you of that to some degree and I, that that's being broad but a, a large sector you know if, if, if you've ever driven under the influence you've committed a felony it's right. I can assure you. if you've gone over the speed limit over a certain amount you've committed a felony you just haven't gotten caught that's mm-hmm. the difference you know um and I've gotten caught you know and I think there's this layer in society that believes that you know that that somehow they're better yeah. Than, and thus, you know, it's because they, that's the image of people in prison is um, tattoos, you know, bald head, shaved, not you know, Nazi symbols on them. That's not necessarily the case. Yes, there is those people in yeah, there. Just you and I have that. Yeah,
0: just us. It's just us.
1: Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yes, there is some. Those people have are in there, but a vast majority of people, right? You would they, have no idea. No, that they're right. In prison, I totally,
0: know? totally agree with and, you, and I also think that, you know, in in the prison world that you see on MSMACs yeah. they they go towards that that part of it because it it's good for ratings yeah. but you know there's a lot of really good people I've met uh in my you know three years of experience and you know a lot of these guys now that I talk to they're just trying to get by and Absolutely. get a good second chance get a good opportunity, get a get a job and, and get back into society that's all they want yeah. honestly
1: and especially with our clients I mean they're more afraid of the society and yeah. society is afraid of them.
0: I would you agree know, with that. You
1: know, and that's when they get out of prison, especially if you're doing a long-term sentence. These guys, when I first see them, and there's nothing more. My favorite thing to do is picking up a guy out of prison after he gets out after like a twenty-five, a long time. thirty-five years. There's yeah. nothing like seeing somebody's face, like just driving them home. I've gotten and picked up guys from Charleston, and yeah. you know, and whatever we're up all the prisons, you know, and just their first just 10 minutes is just oh, the, like the
0: experience. You yeah. just
1: feel that with them, right? Mm-hmm. Because they, it's, it, it's something they probably have been dreaming about for, well, they have been dreaming for decades, yeah. you know, and you get to share that with them and you get to talk to them and they, they're just asking you questions about like, what is this? And then you show them a smartphone. They've yeah. never seen, no, one, see it. Yeah. you know, and it's like, they're like, what do you mean you can fade them? Like I can call people and they can see me talking mm-hmm. to you. like those type of things, you know? So those are experiences that I've got to experience working at CJM that not a lot of people have. And,
0: Well, I know the other things that you do too. I know you do a lot of speaking to to kids and and schools and Uh, tell me a little bit about that.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, part of my job at CJM was, um, it's changed a little bit since then. Um, but, uh, yeah, I do presentations. I've gone, spoken to, um, churches. What's,
0: What's your message?
1: Generally my message is I usually have a presentation and I talk about mass incarceration and its effect and like the racial disparities and all the kind of traditional stuff we talk yeah. about in the correct problems with the crime, criminal justice system. Um, and at the very, very end um, I have a picture of myself um, with all my mugshots, Right. Right. Um, and usually the look on their faces is like, Oh, what? what? And yeah. I do that on purpose um, just to show them that like you had no idea. Right. Yeah. You had an absolutely no idea. And until I told you, now now you now what mind. do you think now what do you think right, right? and your perception's probably skewed, right, right. you know since so, so, and usually they don't and it's usually eye-opening for them um you know, just to say like, wow, I never even thought that like you would have been there and it's like, oh, I was there and I was
0: experienced the whole thing
1: I, I was there you know yeah. and so I think sending that message to people that like, look, we're not. We're not these people like hiding in the woods, like trying to like attack people and like right. commit these That's not how most crimes happen, right? I didn't I didn't intentionally go out that night like thinking like I'm gonna commit a felony, you know, like that wasn't my intention, you know. Um my intention was to go out and hang out with my friends. I just happened to have one ad event on me, right? Um, you know, recently I'm you know, substance abuse has, you know, has been policies has been changed, you know, so I wasn't afforded the opportunity for like treatment court or anything like that. It was you go to prison right now now you know they're kind of doing those specialty courts which i highly encourage and they seem to be very effective from all the data that i've read um but you know it it, it's 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 something is in the dsm-5 which substance abuse disorder is it's technically considered a disability it's a mental health disorder right so why are we criminalizing a mental health disorder
0: well like i told you the the jeremy gilmore story he probably needed a good rehab program yeah maybe eight weeks 12 weeks but he got a life sentence yeah that and blew my mind I that that, that those kind of things they don't fit it, no. it's not it, you know the puzzle doesn't work no. but especially with non-violent exactly stuff you know like yeah i didn't hurt no. i mean
1: hurt anybody you know um it, i've never heard well i've, I've heard people but not like you know Physically or anything like that, and not to say that violent offenders are any worse than I am, because I think I would rather work with a violent offender versus a drug addict any day, um, just because they're way harder to deal with. Um, but you know, nonetheless, yeah.
0: So, Brandon, after going through all that you've gone through, yeah. and 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 knowing what you know now, what what are some of the things you would have as a takeaway for the people listening to your life of how you've experienced it? Um. That's a
1: big question. Um, I think what I would, my takeaway is that give everybody a chance and not, and this is very cliche, but don't judge a book by its cover. I know. And I hate that. I hate using cliche terms, um, but it's but, true, but it's true. But in my sense, it's almost opposite because my covers is good on the outside. Right. Um, and what people see on the outside may not necessarily assume that I've had felony convictions. Mm-hmm. However, I do. So it's almost like flip flop. But, and I'm more so concerned about the people who have that exterior look with all the tattoos that don't have the same opportunities that I have, right? Like I, I don't have a problem going into a place and people, you know, looking at me crazy or thinking I'm going to steal from them. That's, I've never experienced that. Right. Um, well, I mean, i you know, I've experienced it's just probably because of the color of my skin, but necessarily, you know, I'm, I'm a tan person, you know, so I've experienced some race some some degree, but, um, overall, you know, I've had a. I've had it pretty easy, and my goal is to try to make it easier for those who don't have it. Yet. Yeah,
0: I love it because you're using your experience to help yeah. others, and and I think that's just we need a lot of that. Agreed. Uh, it's 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 a big world out there, and there's a lot of people that that giving somebody uh, a helping hand and an opportunity, and and what you're doing with this helping people find a place to live and have it staged in the way that it is i mean that is a big deal oh it's a huge
1: you should see the look on their face when they first walk into it because they're always very skeptical i didn't know about it It, it,
0: until i read this i didn't know that this existed and you know it's it's really spurred me on to want to find out more of these things just make sure that everybody is aware and that we interlink these things so they're communicating so that people can find that help
1: yeah no absolutely i mean it's the look on the guys' faces, because they're very skeptical when they first go, like, there's no way you guys are, it's too good to be true, right? And I always tell them in the interviews, it's like, yes, it sounds too good to be true, but it is true. I'm going
0: to I also it. think it's interesting how you also kind of know your barriers. You were talking uh-huh. about that you, you know, you were going to do the DJ thing because you like that, but yeah, you but figured no. that that's not, that's too much of a trigger point. So you've, you've also figured out how to kind of live your life going forward. And I think what I'm hearing is, is it fills you up a lot to do what you're doing.
1: And, I mean, it drives me. I mean, if yeah. I'm not doing, if I'm not doing this, I'm doing that. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? So it, it's, it's, this is what drives me. This is what I'm going to, you know, to wash you for is, you know, like today was this week is admitted school, admitted students week, so where I had to sit on all these zoom calls. That's what I was doing before I got here. Um, the you know, zoom and, world, I'm sick of zoom so much, but whatever. Um, you know, I, I, my goal is to be upfront, um, in your face, um, you know, and not be scared of like retaliation. Like I'm not afraid of retaliation. Everything about me is public. I have no. You can look me up on CaseNet. You can. I, I'm <clears throat> brutally honest about what I've been through, um, and I have no shame.
0: I think it's a. I think it's a lot easier too to deal with that. <clears throat> I always think that it's. It's always easier for me to deal with people knowing. Yeah. That that I'm an ex-felon then guessing or wondering, it's so much Take easier. And, and if you have yeah, and if you have questions, I'd love to talk about it. It's not something that I'm, you know, is he a felon? Is he yeah. is he can he answer a question? No, I've let's talk. Yeah.
1: And a lot of people don't give people that opportunity, yeah. right? You know, so that's kind of my yeah. I just want people to be given the opportunity to to just be human beings, right? Like we all make mistakes and for you to judge me based on a really messed up criminal justice system that is not set up for to really help the defense. So what you were dealing with, you know, right? It's not set up for that. It's, it's set up to fail, right? Cause, yeah. I mean, let's look at how many people do, plea out that you probably shouldn't plea out, um, just out of fear that they're going to get yeah. sent to longer
0: time. If they're charged, so, there's ninety seven percent of them do. So there's, so you know so that's a, a whole other battle. topic. So
1: you know, but you know, there's just so many issues, and you know, I think hopefully by just you giving me the opportunity to speak and me kind of doing this kind of feel like I'm on a press tour right now. just in the past four days, Um, you know, it's just bringing more awareness that like, look, we're out here. We're not going anywhere. You know, 95% of people go to prison are coming out. All right. So they're going to be your neighbors. I can assure you of that. Um, and if you're scared of them, um, get used to it. And I, don't, I don't know what to tell them like it because I mean, they're going to be there, you know? So well, they're going
0: to, most of them are not going to be the people you think they are. Correct. You'll have I, no idea. Yeah.
1: And they're usually some of the best workers um, around.
0: <laughs> some of the guys that are just looking for a real opportunity. And that's, yeah. that's uh, and if we can give them that, it's such a big deal. And that's what you're doing with, with the work that you're doing, Brandon, I think yeah. it's great. Thank you. I really yeah. appreciate you coming on and talking about this because it does give it awareness And I need to probably have you back here in a a little while to to catch up with you to see how all this turns out. Oh, yeah, yeah. We'll have to do that.
1: Yeah, no, I'll be back, no.
0: So, everybody, uh, if you're still looking for a book out there, uh, I wrote one. It's called Nightmare Success. Uh, Love the likes, the shares, the subscriptions. Uh, We're on YouTube now. And uh, leave a review if you feel like it. Brandon Reed, thank you, man. Really appreciate it.
1: Thank you for come letting me out here. This is wonderful.
0: Nightmare success in and out, everybody. See ya.